If you would, turn in your Bibles to John 17. John 17. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The fourth gospel. The fourth gospel. And... um, With that open, let's pray one more time and ask for the Lord's blessing as we come to His Word. Um, And just ask for His help. So, pray with me. Our Lord in Heaven, we, we ask one more time. We pray for Your help. We need You every hour, O gracious Lord. We know that. We come to Your Word to try to understand spiritual things and to try to understand them not only with our mind but also with our heart. And we can't do that for ourselves, Lord. It says that we need the Spirit of God in order to understand spiritual things. So I pray, O Holy Spirit of God, that You would illuminate this Word, shine on it, and help us to see glorious things in ways that we have never seen them before. Lord, I pray that You would help me to be clear and help my, help my friends once again to do the hard work of listening. We're here to learn from You, Lord. We're here to learn from Your Word. In Christ Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. So, um, we have been studying, as you know, the, the high priestly prayer in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. And what we have seen thus far is just an incredible amount of grace that the Lord has poured out upon His people. Just grace upon grace upon grace. We, we saw in, in verse 2 that the Lord came to give life to His people. We, we've seen that in verse 6, the Lord Jesus had manifested the name of God to His people. We'd seen that these people had come to know God, that they had been brought into fellowship with Him, that they have received the Word that was given to them. They had come to know who He is. And we've come now to a point in His prayer when He begins to ask for something more. As if that wasn't enough. As if it wasn't enough to know God. As if it wasn't enough to to know that we belong to Him. That we have life in Him. The Lord Jesus Christ evidently is not content with that. He wants something else for His people. And that's where we're at. So look with me as I read from verse 9 through 17 of John chapter 17. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them through Your name, those whom You have given Me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Your name, those whom You have given Me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to You, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have My joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So what we see here what we see here is that 
Jesus Christ is praying for his people. I pray for them, he says. I pray for them. He was praying for you. And I want you to think about that. Think about what he's about to undergo. In just a couple of chapters, he is about to shed his blood on the cross. He knows that his death is imminent. And what is on his mind? His people. His people are on his mind. He's about to die and he's thinking about his people. And what, what he is specifically thinking about for them is what we're going to be looking at here in verse 11. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Keep them, keep them. Protect them, guard them. Hold them fast, keep them. And we're going to be looking at that in just a little bit. But what this does is this, this is one of the answers to, to a question that disturbs a lot of people. Because if you know anything about the Bible, think back to the parable of the sower. The seed was sown in four different soils. It was the path, rocky soil, and the soil that had, that had thorns growing in it. And then there was the soil where the seed could actually take root. There are three soils that could not take the seed and there was only one that could. And an honest person knows what's going to keep me from being one of the three. I know what's in my heart. I know what I'm capable of. What's going to keep me from being one of the three? The answer is here. Holy Father, keep them. He's not telling the disciples, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and keep yourself. He's praying to the Father, keep them. Keep them. And so what, what this is revealing is that Christ knows that his people are not capable of keeping themselves. That's why he's praying to the Father to keep them. And, but what we're going to see is that not only, not only does he have this concern for their eternal safety, not just for their bodily safety, but for their eternal safety, it's for a purpose. And that purpose, as I hope to show you, is to live in service to God. He has a use for us. And that's why He wants us to be kept for Him. So, so this is the title of the sermon. The title is, Holy Father, Keep Them to Use Them. Holy Father, Keep Them to Use Them. So, let's look at our first point. Christ's concern. Christ's concern. Look with me at verse 11 again. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. What does Christ mean when he says, now I am no longer in the world? It means he's on the cusp of giving his life and having to leave his disciples behind. Even after he rose again from the dead, after three days, he knows he's about to send to heaven and leave them behind. But he is concerned for his disciples' eternal safety. And that's why he's praying this. It, he, he is concerned for them. Now I am no longer in the world. Look at verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given me I, I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. We'll come to that next week. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So do you see how, how he knows he is leaving, he's leaving his people behind, physically and bodily. He's leaving them behind. And with that on his mind, he's praying that they would be taken care of even as, even as he leaves. And 
and he he takes care of us in two ways. Okay, he takes care of his people in at least two ways. The first way is articulated back in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 18. Even though his bodily presence is leaving us, his spiritual presence he is leaving behind with us. He is going to send to us the third person of the Godhead. If you have more questions about that, I can explain later. But he's going to send the third person of the Godhead. So, John 14, 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, there's the first person of the Godhead, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you, he said. So what that means is that bodily, Christ is going to, send, is going to ascend to heaven 40 days after his resurrection, but he's going to send the Spirit to his people in the, in the presence of his Spirit is the presence of God with his people. Jesus Christ is God. So that means that he himself will be with his people. You see that? Okay. So that's the first way that he that he's going to help his people as he leaves bodily. He sends the Holy Spirit who dwells within believers. But what we're looking at here in verse 11 is he is 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 he administers aid to his people by praying for them. Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me. And we're going to come to that in in just a minute. But the point here is that this prayer, Holy Father, keep them, is coming because his heart is filled with love for his people. He's about to leave, but he loves his people and he knows they've got to be taken care of. So I want to illustrate this for you from John chapter 19, verses 25 and 27. John 19, 25 and 27, or through 27. This is at the crucifixion where the Lord Jesus Christ has been nailed to a piece of wood and is bleeding out and suffocating. And as if that weren't bad enough, he's taking upon himself my sin. He's he's giving himself as the sacrifice, the wrath-bearing sacrifice for my sin. No greater agony could he be experiencing. But look at what is on his mind at that very point. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, the guy that wrote this letter, the disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. What happened there is that in the midst of Jesus Christ bearing unimaginable unimaginable agony, he sees his mother there. And he knows that he has to take care of her. So what's he do? He makes sure she's taken care of. One of his disciples is there. John, John, you need to take care of her. I can't anymore. It's it's an incredible expression of love. That that was on his mind. And that's what's happening in John 17. He knows he's about to do that. He knows he's about to leave. But... His people are on his mind and he knows that they have to be taken care of while they leave. So that's Christ's concern. That's Christ's concern. The second point is Christ's request. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Now I am no longer in the world. I'm about to go. But these, these are in the world and I come to you. So what's the request? Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one 
as we are. So the first thing that I want to take note of is, you see that title there, Holy Father? Holy Father? Well, if you watch the news or, or if you're kind of in tune with things going on, you know that the Catholics call the Pope Holy Father. And that is not good. There is one Holy Father. And that's the Father who is in heaven. He is the only Holy Father. And anyone who tries to take that title for himself is an imposter. Okay, so that was just a by the way. But here's one more note that I just want to mention because if, if you've got a, um, a modern translation, some of the things that I'm going to say might not jive with what you're reading in verse 11. Okay? So some of, some of the modern translations read something like this. Holy Father, keep through your name. Uh, Holy Father, keep them through your name, which you have given to me. In other words, the modern translation will make it sound like the name has been given to Christ instead of the people being given to Christ. But if you have like a, a King James Version or a New King James Version, I believe that that aligns with the better Greek manuscripts. It, it, it's that the people are given to Christ, not that the name has been given to Christ. Okay, So I just wanted to make that clear, just in case you had something else there on the, on the page. Um, okay, so now we need to pause and think about this request. Holy Father Keep through your name. Keep, keep. Just pause and, and try to answer this question a second. What does it mean to keep? Well, it means to, to keep in safety, to look after it, to not let it go, right? To not let it go. Holy Father, keep through your name. Interestingly, the guards who were at the crucifixion as well as the guards who were at the Lord's tomb were keeping watch on His body. The guards were keeping watch. The soldiers keep. The soldiers keep. And God, the Father, is being petitioned by God the Son, keep my people. Keep them. Watch them. Hold them. Keep them safe. Don't let them go. Keep them. Now look at verse 12, because verse 12 also explains a little bit more what it means to keep. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost. To lose is the opposite of keeping. To lose is the opposite of keeping. So what is it that Christ is praying in verse 17 or verse 11 don't let them be lost. Don't let them be lost. Now we need to pause and, and answer this question. Well, what does it mean to keep through your name? Keep through your name. Well, there are three options here. There are, there are three different interpretations and I'm going to suggest mine. The first interpretation is this. Keep them for your namesake. Keep them for your namesake. Um, it's a biblical concept. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Holy Father, keep through your name. The second option is, does he mean keep them by the power of God? Keep them through your name, by your power, by your own divine name. Keep them. Is that what he's talking about? Keep them by your power? I don't think that's what he's talking about either. What I think he's talking about is keep them in the location of your name. Keep them in association with your name. Keep them in union with yourself. Keep them faithful and connected to you. And the reason why I think that interpretation is best is because of what shows up in verses 21 and 23 where the same Greek word is used, even though it's been translated differently. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, 
It's the same Greek word, through and in. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us. You see that? That they may be one in us. Christians are in God. We're associated with God. We're in union with God. It's the same thing down in verse 23 if you want to look at it. I'm not going to take time to go there because there's so much ground to cover. But, but what he's, so, so that's my argument. That what he's not saying is, Holy Father, keep them through your own name. He's saying, keep them in your own name. Well, what does that mean? This is wonderful. He's saying, Father, keep them faithful. Don't let them stop becoming Christians. You see that? That's a prayer request almost too good to be true. Think of it like this. It's kind of a silly illustration, but it but it kind of but it kind of illustrates the point. If you come into class in high school, if you have a math test, your teacher is about to pass out the test and he says, Do you have any questions? And some smart aleck in the back raises his hand and says, Yeah, what are the answers to the test? Right? Well, you don't really get to ask that. You, get, you don't get to ask what the answers are on the test. That's not the point of the test. But the wonderful thing about Christianity is that when God saves you, He helps you stay saved. He helps you stay saved. You see that? Holy Father, keep in your name. If you, if you have a habit of writing in your, of your Bible, I write in my Bible all the time, so that way I can remember things. I would put a little mark next to, next to that word through and just off to the side say, well, could be translated in. And that way when you read this again later, you could remember, oh yeah, that's right not just keeping them by his power it's not just keeping them like through or for his namesake he's asking him to keep them in his name asking them to keep him faithful it's that prayer request that's almost too good to be true god help me stay a christian have you ever prayed that jesus christ prayed that he would help you stay a christian if you're a christian that's wonderful So, here's another point that I want us to look at here. Why would he ask the Father to keep them? Well, the very presence of the request implies that there are dangers that are going to threaten you from being kept. When when a soldier is overseas and he's posted at the gate, why is he posted at the gate? Because there are enemies out there. So when the Son says, Holy Father, keep them, that means that there, are, that there are things out there that are trying to get you lost. Trying to get your soul lost. Look down at verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. The world has hated them. That has been the truth of Christianity ever since it was around. They've been burning Christians at the stake. Literally. They've drowned people. Tortured them. Put them on the rack. All kinds of horrors because the world has hated Christians. Verse 15 I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Keep them from, literally, the evil. The evil. You have a devil out there 
whom the Scripture compares to a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You have a world out there that is going to throw anything it can at you to, to, to make you feel ashamed of being a Christian. Get you to go back to your old way of life. Get you to just throw in the towel. That's why they need to be kept. That's why you need to be kept by the power of God. Maybe, maybe one more example to emphasize this. In 2 Timothy 4.10, this is the last letter of the Apostle Paul. The last letter of the Apostle Paul. And he's writing it to a Christian pastor named Timothy. And he's just about to end his letter. 2 Timothy 4.10 And he says this. I'm going to start in 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me. Now who's Demas? Who's Demas? Demas had been a man who was with Paul for a long time, serving with him in the gospel. Demas is a, was a guy mentioned in the book of Colossians, as well as in the book of Philemon. Demas was a servant of the Lord, so it would appear. But look at what happened to Demas ultimately in the end. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And if you're honest, you know that you're capable of that. You know that you're capable of that. So what's going to keep you from doing that? What's going to keep you from being like Demas? Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Keep them. Turn over to Luke 22, 31-33. To see this illustrated in a in a wonderful way, I I love this passage, Luke twenty two. Thirty one through thirty two, Luke, chapter twenty two. Thirty one through thirty two. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now Simon is another name for for Peter. He's the apostle Peter, one of one of the leaders among the disciples. Simon, Simon. Now listen, listen to this. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Could you imagine the Lord telling you that? Satan has asked for you. What's going to go through your mind? Do I stand a chance of surviving that encounter? Do I stand a chance? Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. But now look at the next verse, verse 32. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Your faith should not fail. That it would remain rooted. And when you have returned. Notice, not if. He says when, not if. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That is what the Lord is praying for in John 17, 11. Holy Father, keep them 
Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. I have all kinds of verses listed out for you in, in that outline that I gave you as to, as to just backing up the fact that God, if you're a Christian, God is going to keep you secure in Him. Uh, turn to Jude 24. Jude 24. Last week I quoted Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Philippians 1, 6. I have that listed in there as well. But turn over to Jude 24 and we'll read Jude 24. There's, uh, I'm sorry, I might have needed to mention this. There's only one chapter in Jude. So it's Jude chapter 1, verse 24. That's why you can say Jude 24. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To keep you from falling. Turn back a couple of pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Has He brought you into the faith? He's not going to let you go. Has He given you eternal life? He's not going to take it away. Has He saved you? He's not going to deliver you over to be lost. Now let me mention this too. If you're not a Christian, this isn't yours. It's not. You don't get to feel secure. This is the inheritance of the children of God. It said back in John 17, verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. If you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. So what are you going to do? Got to turn. He'll take you. He'll take you. He'll take you anytime. Now is the day of salvation. And come and know the security, the security of being kept by God. So, that was Christ's request. Holy Father, keep them. By the way, that's called the the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. Are any of you runners? Um, When you start the race, you've got to keep going. My dad loves this illustration. He talks about it all the time. When you start running, you need endurance. You've got to keep going. You've got to finish it out. But what if that race happens to be 38 years long? How are you going to be sure to to get to the end? Holy Father, keep them through your name. Keep them in your name. That's really, really good. So, now let's look at Christ's aim. Christ's aim. John 17, 11. Now I am no longer in the world but these are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep in your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. So what I want you to see is that last phrase, that they may be one. So how we read it is like this. Holy Father, keep them that they may be one. Holy Father, Keep them to be Christians that they may be one. And it seems simple. It seems like a simple request. 
Um, but I have to say, I had to struggle a long time to try to figure out what exactly he was saying, to try to figure out the connection. So first, let me explain to you what this does not mean. What is he not praying for? That they may be one. We live in a culture today that basically thinks that Christians should get rid of their doctrine, should get rid of their theology, should get rid of their convictions, set that aside, and should just be friends with every other religion and every other denomination out there. Right? Everybody hears that. Maybe you've even heard this saying before. Doctrine divides, love unites. You ever heard something like that before? Doctrine divides, love unites. That's a lie. That's a lie. That framework is not the framework with which you need to govern your life, govern your Christianity. What he's not praying for is set aside everything you believe in and just be friends. He's not praying that. Look at the verse. It says that they may be one as we are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, one in purity, in holiness, in truth, not, not in spite of all the in in uh, not in spite of all those oh <laughs> not in spite of all those things, but in those things, pure and holy, union and holiness. I don't have time to turn there. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 6, it talks about maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, what does that look like? There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So what does this unity look like? What is this unity to which Paul is calling the church? To the one the one God, unify around the one God, unify around the one faith, unify around the one Spirit, unify around the truth. That's the biblical, that's the biblical understanding of unity. So, all that to say, that's not what he's praying for. He's not, he's not praying that people would just set aside their differences and just be one. He's not saying that. So, what is he saying? The first thing that I want to notice is that I think the way that verse 11 ends is in kind of a surprising fashion. And this is what I mean. This is how I would have expected the verse to end. Holy Father, keep them that they may get to heaven. That's how I would have expected it. Holy Father, keep them that they may get to heaven. But he said, Holy Father, keep them that they may be one. So I look at that and I wonder, okay, what's the connection between being kept and the unity which he, that he's praying for? You guys kind of see the conundrum? What's the bridge in between God's preservation and the unity that he's asking for? So, I'll try to explain it in this way with five observations that I have written down for you on your, on your outline so that way you don't have to scramble. So, we're going to look at those and try to bring all the pieces together. But i got to warn you, this is going to be like slogging through the weeds. It's going to be worth it, though, when you see it. It's going to be worth it when you see it. Okay, so Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that so that they may be one as we are. The first observation. It only makes sense that when God's people are united to God, that God's people are united to each other. Was that too difficult? 
when God's people are united to God, they are going to be united with each other. Okay? So that's the first connection. Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one. Keep them in your name that they may be one. Okay? Second observation. In verse 11, we're told the purpose of the preservation. Why is the Father being asked to keep them? Well, it's so that they may be one. That's the purpose of God's preservation, that Christians may be united. But now we want to ask, what is the purpose of that unity? We are given the answer in verse 21. That they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. So the purpose for God's preservation is Christian unity. The purpose for Christian unity is that the world may see it and know that Christ is from heaven. And incidentally, or in by implication, be saved. Everybody tracking so far? That makes sense? So, the third observation is this. What that means is that um, when Christ prays for your preservation, He is praying ultimately that the world would glorify Christ and would come to know Him. Did that make sense? Okay. Because our first observation was, or the, our, uh, our second observation was, preservation leads to unity, unity leads to the glorification of God and the salvation of sinners. We all see that? What that means then is that preservation ultimately leads to the glorification of God and the salvation of sinners. Okay? So this is, this is tricky, but keep tracking. The fourth, the fourth observation is this. We want to ask, in what way is the Godhead unified? Because he says in verse 11 that they may be one, that they may be unified as we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In what way is the Godhead unified? Well, the first answer to that question is that they are unified in being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. Not three gods. Not three offices. Not three different actions. One God. Okay? All on the same plane. But the second way in which the Godhead is unified is unified in goal and in activity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have the same plan for the universe and they are working toward the same end for the universe. Let's look at some verses to prove this. Look back at John 16:14. John 16:14. He that is the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Does that sound familiar? He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me. We'll look over at John 17:1. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. Same goal, same activity. Look down at um, look down at verse two. As you, the Father, have given him the Son authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. In other words, the Son and Father are fulfilling this plan together to give eternal life. And the same thing is all the way through. Verse three: This is eternal life that they might know you, the Father and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, what 
what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that the three persons of the Godhead are unified in their goals and in their activities. Their goal, the glorification of God and the salvation of sinners. Okay? So, the fifth observation, the fifth observation, and then we're going to tie these things together. The fifth observation is that Jesus Christ is drawing His people into the exact same activity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The same goal as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look down at verse 18 with me. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You see how Christ has brought His people into the same kind of activity that that He's doing? As you, Father, have sent me into the world, I also have sent them, the disciples, into the world. Now verse 20. I do not pray for those alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, the disciples are going to be speaking. You see that? Who will believe in me through their word. Well, what that should ring a bell in your mind is that Christ came with the word of the Father. Look at verse 6. Toward the end, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 8. For I gave to them the words which you have given me. So Christ came with words. Verse 18, the disciples are going to go forth with words. Same kind of activity. Same kind of goal. Look at... um, No, no. Okay, so... So here's, here's, I know that was a lot. I know that was a slog. But now let's back up and try to tie these things together. Verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name, keep in your name, those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are. So what he's praying is this. He's praying that God would keep his church faithful to to work together with him that union for the salvation of sinners and the glorification of God. I feel like I just lost everybody. Okay. When the Lord when the Lord prays, Father, keep them in your name, whom you have given me, that they may be one. He's tying all of these facts together. You and I, Father, we have this goal. We have this this purpose that they're work that we're that we're working toward in the universe to to bring glory to the Godhead. Glorify thy Son, he says in verse 1. We're working toward this together. We're working to bring eternal life to the world, verse 2. And these people have been brought into union with yourself. They've been brought into union with us. So as they have been brought into union with you, May they be united together with each other and with us to work for the same thing. To work for the glorification of God. To work for the salvation of souls. That, I believe, is what he's trying to say in verse 11. Keep them in your name that they may be one in the same activity 
in the same goal, in the same purpose of life and living. So hopefully that was a little more clear. And, and here's, here's ultimately what that means. And this is, this is where we end. What that means is that you then, Christian, are privileged to be a co-worker together with God for His purposes. That they may be one with each other and one with us. Well, what does that mean? Exalting God in the salvation of sinners. That, that's the implication at the end of verse 21 that the world may believe that you sent me. That the world may believe that you sent me. So here, here's the brass tacks. Christian, you have not been saved only to go to heaven. If that's where your focus is, your focus is too narrow. You have been saved and brought into the work to put your shoulder to the plow to serve the Lord who gave His life for you, who gives you forgiveness, who sustains your faith that you would get to work for the same things that He has purposed for the universe. So that's, that's why... That's why the title of, of the message, Holy Father, keep them to use them, to be used of the Lord. And again, I'll say it again. If you're not a Christian, that's not you. You're not in that work. You don't get to put your shoulder to the plow. But you ought to just feel this nag in your soul. You ought to just feel I am wasting my life if I don't give it to this purpose. If I don't give my life to this king to get to work for what his goal is for the universe, that ought to hit your soul. And you need to start getting right with the Lord today. Today. You can't afford to wait even for this afternoon. You need to sit before the Lord and admit, yes, I've been a rebel I have not been working for your purposes. I've been working for mine. And I need to be forgiven. And you look to the Lamb who's willing to forgive your sins. So, brothers and sisters, this is why we're still on the earth. We're still here to serve the Lord. We're still here to walk with Him, preserved by His almighty hand, and to serve Him without fear. Do you remember that? Do you remember that phrase that we were looking at a couple weeks ago? To serve Him without fear all the days of our life. It's a good life as a Christian. And He's, an, he's a great God. So let's pray. Lord, these things are very difficult to understand and they're very difficult to articulate. I thank you for this time that we have had together around your word. And I, and I ask again that, that whatever I have said incorrectly or that is untrue would just be forgotten or left in confusion and never touched again. But I pray that those things that are true and right and glorifying to Your name would be sealed to our hearts. We thank You for being willing to preserve such as us. We thank You for being willing to Keep us in the faith for praying for us, for helping us to stay Christians. If any is not here who has not bowed the knee to Christ, I ask that you would cause them to do so today. Cause them to repent and to, and to believe on Jesus Christ the Savior.
in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to uh, stay seated, but sing one more song together, number 994. Four hundred and ninety-four. I'm sorry. Four hundred and ninety-four. Anybody there? No? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's 449. 449. Good song. Poor speaker. 449. Okay. my life and let it be consecrated Lord to Thee take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise let them flow in ceaseless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee swift and beautiful for thee take my voice and let me sing always only for my king take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee filled with messages from thee take my silver and my gold not a might would I withhold my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose every power as thou shalt choose Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. And um, as we sing this last, as we sing this last verse, just look down toward the end. It says, Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. That's a hard thing to pray to God. But pray to mean it. Nothing withheld. Nothing withheld.
Take it all, Lord. Pray to mean it. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be as 